0: Welcome to the Triathlete Hour. We have a special show for you today. We're talking to Todd Crandall, the founder of Racing for Recovery. Now you may have heard some of Todd's story before. He was struggling with addiction, doing hard drugs, hitting rock bottom. And then after his third DUI, he decided he had to stop. He found exercise and eventually Ironman. And today he helps thousands of other people find a better life out of addiction. Now, not always using triathlon, but sometimes. Even if you've heard his story before, he's been on CNN, New York Times. He opens up here about some really interesting aspects of what it takes to train addicts for Ironman, the pitfalls and the possibilities that triathlon opens up. He shares what he's learned over the years and some advice that will resonate with anyone. Now, we had a few small audio problems, but bear with us because I promise it'll be worth it. And first, before that, we have Sid Talks again with Laura Adal, who gives us the scoop on racing in Europe and around the world. We talk about building better habits and New Year's resolutions, how they're kind of slipping now, and about Ironmans being sold out in North America for 2021. What does that mean for people who want to do their first one this year? And how will race companies succeed as things start to get back to normal? Stay tuned for all of that after this short break. Looking to improve your fitness and find great content? Check out our Active Pass membership program. Along with a Triathlete Magazine subscription and exclusive content across all our sister brands like Velo News and Yoga Journal, Active Pass includes access to training programs from Today's Plan, yoga and fitness courses to build strength and flexibility, meal plans from Clean Eating, and gear and event discounts. Right now, you can use Active Pass to help you build healthier habits in 2021. Go to triathlete.com backslash active pass to learn more. All right, we're back with Laura Siddall for Sid Talks. Laura, we were just chatting about it's January, what's the 18th today? So this is kind of that time of year where like your New Year's resolutions start to fall by the wayside.
1: (laughs) (laughs) If you've you've lasted this long and didn't like just stop on day two and go, oh, we're still in a pandemic. This is rubbish.
0: (laughs) I know. So like we've been doing a lot of talk kind of at Triathlete around like habits and building healthy, like better habits because habits are like what are the foundation of like your training, right? Like you need good recovery habits and sleep habits and nutrition habits and all that. Um, and so if you actually like tried to fix, I tried <laughs> to stop drinking so much. Like I did for, for three weeks. I like didn't and I didn't see any benefits. Like I didn't
1: feel better. It was terrible. <laughs> oh my God. I, I'm impressed that you managed for three weeks. So Well, I I guess I took it the other way. So instead of like you do New Year's resolutions, then you talk about giving things up. Well, I decided I think in 2020, when the pandemic hit, I would bring something new. You know, everyone talked about new skills and starting, you know, everyone started baking or make the most of your time, start to learn a language or stuff like that. I decided I'd start to drink more in 2020. Oh. <laughs> I think that was my habit that I created. Um, no, yeah, it's, We always have to have like that 20, the start of the year or the start of the month or I'll start on Monday to have habits. And I keep thinking about kind of I'm a bit of a chocoholic. That's my downfall. So I keep thinking I should try and um, reduce that intake. I was actually I'm out of chocolate at the moment. I was actually opening the cupboards in a desperate state last (laughs) night trying to find where I might have hidden something and left it. Um, and my nutritionist actually said some chocolate isn't too bad, which is the worst thing you could say to me because I'm like brilliant. That's like a green light. <laughs> um, and I think about like giving up caffeine and stuff like that, but a, a bit like you, I I find it's yeah, it's just too hard, and I always fail. At the thought of it. The the one thing I do need to improve on in terms of habits, and I know you have to. It doesn't happen. <laughs> talk about sleep. It doesn't happen overnight, and you do need to create it. I am awful at sleep protocol and like sleeping and recovery from that aspect. So I do need to keep working on that. But I say that every month, every week, every year, and I still seem to fail to uh, fail to stick to it.
0: It's actually really interesting. Like the psychology behind habit, Because like you do a habit because it gives you some kind of like reward or benefit. Right. And like, sometimes it yeah. isn't always what you, the reward isn't always what you think it is. It's often like internal in your head, you know, like you felt stressed so you had a beer and now you feel less stressed, right? Like that's like kind of the and uh, and so when you get into it, if you like really you have to really kind of dive into why are you doing the thing you're doing in order to like change it. I went we I've been researching all this. We we did a story on it, I'll include the story in our show notes. But you have to really kind of what is it that's like the reason, the reward I'm getting yeah. and why do I do this? And then you have to like break it down. So it's it's a, it gets really deep really quickly. <laughs>
1: yeah. And I think the one thing I would say, like with everyone who, who did start the new year with all good intentions of of goals and stuff that, yeah, if you've fallen off after a few days or a few weeks and whatever, it doesn't actually matter. Just try and pick it up again. It doesn't have to be something that starts on the 1st of January. It's just kind of that being that habit. I mean, yeah, a habit more about like trying to get it consistently in every day so that that you do something that then becomes that habit and knowing, like you said, knowing that why of why you're doing will help that. But if you miss a day or you lose a bit of track, just start it again if if it gives you the benefit or you've got that strong enough why to do it in the first place.
0: Oh, for sure. I mean, part of the other psychology around creating habits is you have to, like, reward yourself as you're going. You have to recognize (laughs) that, like... You're making progress. Right? You're not going to knock it out of the park right away, but you have to do like little things. Like, well, this is a little bit better this week than it was last week. A little bit better. You just but you keep. Improving.
1: See, but you see, I do that. So I do that either with chocolate or alcohol, and I go right. I'm not going to drink this week, or I'm not going to have any chocolate this week. And I go through like one day without having chocolate, and I go, "Oh, brilliant! Well done, you. Reward yourself with some chocolate." And then you're kinda, like <laughs> totally just defeats the point, and I'm back to where I was. Yeah, no, I don't feel <laughs>
0: like, that's <not> Yeah. <laughs> yeah we've been talking a lot kind of about habits and foundations because this is sort of the start of the year i mean it's also the start of the year always conveniently coincides with the start of race season or start of the season not really races yet but you know usually it's like oh i'm also building my base training i'm also planning my year like what do i want to do um and unfortunately at least here in the u.s this year if you want to do a full Ironman, like there are no options. <laughs> like they're yeah. all sold out. Uh, they just announced a new like one time only Ironman Indiana um for people who want to do one. Obviously there are other brands, but there aren't that many in the US like
1: not not for the full, reasons, not for yeah. full distance I think. I think you'd see there's quite a few other full distance options probably in other places around the world. Maybe Europe's got some independent races that do the full, but they tend to be more of the extreme uh, events as well maybe so right. not, like, not traditional friend. yeah yeah the Xterra kind of or off-road type of stuff so yeah it's hard and I think yeah I mean most of those being sold out is because it, the races last year got postponed and cancelled and those entries have been rolled over but it does limit if you know we're bringing all these all these awesome new ex- people that have taken up running and cycling in in the pandemic and stuff if we want to bring them into the sport um, however we're saying that not everyone necessarily should then go straight into doing a right. full. So, you know, maybe it's that chance to again, like look for those grassroots events, look for those local events, which are probably the shorter distance, but maybe that's the the option that we have to support this year. Um and then build up for build up for next year again, hopefully.
0: Yeah, if you are like, oh hey, my goal for 2021 is to do an Ironman for the first time, like, uh, it might not cuz there really aren't a lot of options. Um and like you said, a lot of that's from deferrals from last year, people deferring over some amount. Yeah. Is new people signing up, but it's not, you know, a ton and uh yeah, so you may have to do some like local races, some smaller races, some shorter races and like give yourself a long runway.
1: Yeah, and then plan it, yeah, and plan in for 2022 i mean I, I think a lot of races in the last few years have almost the ones that sell out on the popular ones anyway you almost had to be a volunteer mm-hmm. the first year to then get in or get your slots uh like for the next year um so there's other options like that as well maybe yeah that's what happened with ironman arizona again this year it sold out yeah. before it even opened yeah, and crazy and like Challenge Roth as well is another crazy one. And again, like for this year, it will be a lot of people that have rolled over or defer, you know, and, and deferred entry, but people queue up. So Roth have this crazy thing where you can, they give out so many places. So if the race is on Sunday, on Monday morning, they give out so many places. So literally when you're leaving the race site after the finish lines party is finished on, on, on the Sunday night, there's already people camping out queuing overnight to get there. so so and some people I mean some people actually fly in from all over Europe and the world just to get their spot they, they haven't actually seen the race they just come <laughs> so they camp out so they're one of those first people to get the slot the next day other people I've seen come literally straight off the race course having finished and are straight into the line camping oh. out overnight and but Roth's amazing like if it's They'll either they'll give out food if people or if it's really bad weather, they'll bring out blankets or they move everyone inside and things. And then, yeah, in the morning that everyone's like gets their pass for signing up for the following year. And then they open it, I think, a week later for online and it's sold out within within seconds again.
0: Is this a is this like an issue in Europe? Like, Are all the races sold out for this year already? I don't think so. I haven't heard that
1: (laughs) yeah I haven't heard so much in Europe. It's gone really quiet on the race front, if I'm honest. Like we've not really heard much about it. And you'd think, um again, sort of races are targets uh, lined up. I think there's a couple of full distances in May. um I think are probably the earliest ones in in Europe, but it's it is really quiet on that front. i really I think Europe's just kind of in a place of holding its breath at the moment to see what's going to happen over the coming weeks with with the numbers that are, that are that are still an issue here, um, and also like the rollout of the vaccine and how that's going to help help things, um, I've not heard that they're sold out, but I've also not seen that much in the news about um, promoting the races either. So right. yeah, it's pretty it's pretty weird and quite. You feel like you've been in a void at the moment over here in Europe.
0: You and I were also just looking at the pro count, cal- the Ironman pro calendar. For people who don't know, Ironman like puts out a calendar of which races are going to be pro races. And they've announced it pretty much through Kona qualifying, more or less. And there are not many races.
1: There's like <laughs> not a ton. There's like two Ironmans in North America, three. Yeah. It's, it's like, yeah. again, like, you know, hopefully, you know, with Kona, if Kona still goes ahead this year and we're by that stage, hopefully back to pretty much some form of normality. But I think still. For this year, it's going to be really hard to quali- qualify again for Kona for the professionals. Um, I think last year when things were sort of going, Pete Tong, um, they were handing out some wild hand- cards to plots, people yeah. and stuff like that. So I think they've all rolled over. So um, Yeah,
0: quite a few of the people who have babies told me it's okay because they were already given. Yes. Slot.
1: <laughs> yes. That's what I heard as well. Um, there are some sort of and special invites and things like that. So I'm sure we'll see some of that coming up, but I do think, yeah, I think it's going to be really hard for the, the professionals who haven't got a slot already to, to qualify for this year, especially as we are not sure, um, when those races are going to kick in.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting. And I don't know how all these race companies are going to stay in business either. Um, mm-hmm. which obviously is something, you know, we all have talked about, we all know, but there was a, I, mean, I don't think this is something you guys follow as much in Europe, but there was a lawsuit against Iron Man kind of over Iron Man not giving refunds this last year. And the judge last week threw it out, said, you know, no, like you don't get a yeah. refund in the fine print like you signed that. Um, but if they had to give part of what the judge said was if they had to give refunds, they would go out of business. And I know we've seen that with like a lot of race companies in last year, like they had to cancel races last minute or they already spent the money, but they aren't going to be, you know, they're not bringing money in it's going to be tough for race yeah. organizers. Yeah. yeah.
1: And I think that's like last year with a lot of the races that w- were canceled or rescheduled, re- a lot of that money already been spent by the event in order to get, they've had to, you know, prepay and, and book things, you know, months in advance. So it is really hard. And I think as well, if that lawsuit had been approved, it would have probably sent a precedent for then other events would have then been probably taken, right. taken to court as well, who aren't even as big as Ironman. So, um which would have just put them under. I mean, it is really tough for the event industry. And you know, looking ahead to like even like 2022, um, what companies are going to be around still or are they going to be new companies because companies are just going to fold because they, they can't survive. Um, you know, and then the the companies that have um advertised and given refunds or refund policies, um You know, which has been great and been very well received, obviously, by the athletes. But what does that mean for them financially? You know, it might be a very it's a very great gesture and it certainly creates that customer buy in and potentially that longer term support because people will feel that they're doing the right thing and they might return for their races or they might then look at their races in the future if they've been treated as they feel unfairly by other brands. Um, but again, they're still losing out. That's a massive financial impact for them. And can they actually survive going forward?
0: Yeah, it's, um, it's going to be tough for the next year or yeah. two for races. But I do yeah. think there's also, the, like you just said, kind of how people feel about it. A lot of this wasn't about legal. It wasn't really like a legal argument. It was really <laughs> just like people were upset. People yeah. were upset because they felt like they were treated badly and they weren't getting responses and they weren't being told what was happening. Um, so a
1: lot of that stuff just comes down to
0: like customer service.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think, you know, everyone's everyone's on edge this year and last year and stuff. Everyone's kind of a little bit more sensitive, I think. And I think there's you can see the the brands and the companies that have responded pretty well. And even if it's this an outcome that you don't like, just the way people have communicated can have a massive impact on that customer buy-in and making someone feel feel valued and worthy and stuff and I'm not just talking I mean I'm talking more broader now I'm not just talking about events companies I'm talking about (laughs) brands partnership any any company and any sort of engagement or interaction in this past year I think. Do You think everyone's on edge. I don't know why. It's weird. <laughs> we all just need to be kind to each other. <laughs> Give everyone those virtual hugs. <laughs> there you go. That's the New Year's resolution. Try and be kind to everybody. Do one. Um, do a uh, random act of kindness every day. Okay. You do that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right.
0: So, what are your? I mean, now that we've talked about like races and planning and all of that, are you actually planning? What are your plans for
1: racing? Yeah. So I. <laughs> I got to a stage last year where I was kind of in a bit of a funk and was kind of losing a bit of direction. And actually with my coach, Julie Dibbons, she said, let's just plan races for 2021. Yeah. We don't know what's going to happen, but I think it will just give you a bit of focus and it might give that bit of motivation. And it certainly helped at the time. So we kind of mapped out what that, you know, nice ideal race schedule for 2021 would be if, if things were back to normal. Um, the first race <laughs> that I had was actually going to be at the end of January. Um, I was actually <laughs> going to do IsraMan, man. Um, but unfortunately then with being injured, that ruled that out, but also that has been postponed to as well now with the travel restrictions over there. So that's been pushed back to March. Um, I'm potentially down to do challenge Miami. Um, so that's kind of on the cards if that, and that's mid March now. So, um, my plan is to try and get back to the States if I'm let out of Spain and let into the U S and, and not too many issues around there. Um, but then later in the year, like I've, there's, um, I would normally race Ironman Australia. Um, I've done that for the past four uh, three years, um, big race and, and New Zealand, obviously I think I'm New Zealand will take place, but I won't be able to get there to race it, which would be a shame and challenge Wanaka is normally a staple on my race calendar. And then I'd do, yeah, Australia in May, but obviously I won't be able to get back to those, which would be a shame. So I've looked at some European uh, long-distance races in May. Um, so there's a couple. There's Ironman Lanzarote or Ironman Mallorca. So they're kind of like sh- penciled in. Um, Roth will be the big one for me if that if that goes ahead in July. Um, just love that race and will always kind of try and get to that race to race it. Um, and then looking to the end of the back end of the year obviously kona if qualification works out and that sort of thing potentially again ironman wales if that again if that's on the cards that's in september so just before kona um, and then yeah a couple of challenge half like so cape town and daytona again right. at the end of the year um, I mean, that's kind of the rough a rough outline but it's it's hard, flex- to, plan. It's hard right. to plan it's flexible to change there might be other races that pop up if they if they can, and I might jump into those, depending where I am um, with fitness and location. Um, Yeah, and and we'll just see. So I've kind of, I've been using it. Yes, they're my goals or they're the races. I'm hoping they happen. I'm working as if they are going to happen, but I am fully prepared that they won't. Um, But still keeping that training, just being like, if I can be better today than I was yesterday, then that's only going to serve me. You know, I just want to get back to fitness and be able to actually swim, bike, run fully in all three disciplines for once in the last few years. <laughs> it, is,
0: uh, it is like a circuit. I think everyone's struggling with this. I sent my coach like an email that was, I want to do an Ironman in the summer, but if I have to go... Obviously, we cover the Olympics. So if I have to go to the Olympics, yeah. I can't do one after that, but I don't know if they're going to have journalists at the Olympics yet, and I won't know that till March. But then if they don't have them, will I be able to go to Europe and race? But if I can't go to Tokyo, why would I be able to go to Europe? So yeah. you're like going in this circle of like logic. And you're like, this doesn't... And I think probably everyone's kind of like, what's going to happen? As all... like, I'm from California, and if Oceanside happens, I'll do it. But as all my friends are saying... I'm registered, but I'm not training. Like, I don't think it's going to happen. I do think St. George in May will happen. That's kind of my first flip, right? So you're kind of like judging these based on, well, probably this one will happen, but not this one. It's a weird situation, guys. We're all in like a very weird place right now. I get that. It's fine. Yeah,
1: and I think it's probably maybe a little bit different for the professionals because effectively it is our job. So, And whereas I appreciate for age groupers, who have got a race you know it's a lot of it's a big time commitment for them to train for a race when they've got work and family and other commitments so it's probably more of a a dilemma for them going am I am I am I going to commit this much time away from family or away from work and 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 sacrificing other things to do this race which I'm not sure is going to happen that's probably a hard decision whereas kind of it it is what I do day day to day so I still, yeah, I still need to focus on that. And and yeah, it, actually for me, it's just trying to get back to being fully healthy and fit and being able to do all three disciplines at capacity. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. I always think it's interesting though, the people who like actually work behind the scenes in the sport, if they're training for races and signed up for races, that's a sign, right? That's when yeah. you know, like, hey, these <laughs> yeah,
1: might actually need, happen. <laughs> you need the inside knowledge. You're going, ah, oh, okay, okay, right. <laughs> okay. So... Yeah.
0: Well, good luck with everything. Good luck getting back to to all of your training, and hopefully some of these races happening. Hopefully, I see you in Roth this year, right? Yes, definitely.
1: Yeah, that would be awesome. Oh, you'd, you'd love it. I can't wait. Can't wait to ch- anyone who comes to Roth. Just yeah, you have a blast. And I think if you know if it happens, that's. It. I, I think any race that happens this year is going to be bigger, bigger, and better than we've because everyone's just going to be so happy to be on a start line and to be able to see people again and be grateful for that opportunity. But I think some are just some of those iconic races that have suffered last year are just going to be bigger and better than ever, I think, because there's going to be so much, so much, so much energy going into them. For sure. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed.
0: You don't want to miss any podcast from Triathlete Magazine. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review, share with a training buddy, and keep listening. All right. This week we're talking to Todd Crandall. Some of you may know his story. I think uh, was the documentary called "Addict to Iron Man." He you know went through drug addiction, alcohol addiction, came back from that, used exercise, used Iron Man. I want to talk about this, Todd, because I mean your story is pretty crazy. A lot of people find it very motivational. I mean, you started drinking and using drugs like pretty early, right? Like thirteen, something, something crazy.
2: Yeah, I started at 13 with just taking a couple of six sips of alcohol the first time I tried it, and then the second time I tried it, I drank an entire bottle of Jack Daniels and took some speed along with it, so that, to me, um, illustrates the magnitude of when you're predisposed to addiction, like my mom was, who killed herself from drugs and alcohol, so was my uncle, who killed himself from drugs and alcohol, and my aunt killed herself as well, so... There's definitely a genetic makeup to that and with my own personal story I knew right away after trying this twice that yeah this is going to be a problem. And then of course it took me 13 years to try and figure out that uh, drugs and alcohol were not going to work for me and it was
0: time to stop. Really what what made you I mean obviously lots of people like want to stop and they just they, they can't what made you finally be able to come back from that?
2: Well, I like everybody else who have abused drugs and alcohol, you know, all the war stories that go along right. with it, which to me is pretty boring. I've been there, done that. But the the best part of my drug addiction was the day I got arrested for my third drunk driving charge. That was on April 15th of 1993. I think I registered a, a .36 at noon, which is, you know, if you're trying to get a DUI at that level, that's a pretty good start at it, Right. right. Um, trying to use some humor in a very delicate subject, right. but yeah, that to me was, uh, it was a gift from God. And I like to say it was a gift from my dead mom that just said enough is enough. Let's try and do something else. And for the past 28 years, I've been getting better physically, spiritually, emotionally, and carrying that message through doing Ironmans and racing for recovery.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, you were a hockey player growing up and, and, and so when you decided like enough is enough, like this, you can't go around getting to like, that's t- crazy. Uh, terrible you turn to exercise again. Correct. Okay.
2: And I, this is a great question, Kelly. And this is where I love making the, the listener understand the impact of what exercise specifically triathlon and even more specifically Ironman triathlon have really done for me. Having that athletic background, the first day that I quit drinking, I immediately started doing push-ups and drinking smoothies. <laughs> because it was getting the bad stuff out of my system. And I always knew that exercise and sports were a great thing. So I, I actually picked up my hockey career. We'll call it a career, whatever you want. But after I kind of answered the what if question, could I have done something with this if I didn't choose drugs or alcohol? I was looking for that next adventure. And that's where I picked up Iron Man. And ironically, the first time I saw Iron Man, I was... Sitting in my house with a mirror full of cocaine, watching the Iron Man on television and thinking to myself, I want to do that someday. And one of my friends was sitting with me and is like, Dude, are you out of your mind? Look at you right now. You're not doing that. But that was the initial seed that was planted. And it's so weird how, even in my darkest hour, Iron Man was around me. I just didn't know <laughs> how much it was going to be a part of my life at that time. And I'm I'm thankful that it is.
0: So when you decided to quit, you started doing push-ups every day and drinking smoothies. How long did it take you to kind of, you know, start running and then start biking and then start more, you know, keep adding?
2: Well, it's interesting because when I used to lift weights, Mm -hmm. it was to lift or to look good on the outside while I was actually punishing myself on the inside. So getting sober in 93 did the hockey thing. And then it was six years later that I decided I was going to do Ironman. And I remember my dad saying to me, well, you don't even know how to swim. And I'm like, well, you know, I'll figure that out. You know, I I've got some running shoes and I'll buy a bike. So I had no idea what I was doing. Um, bought a Cannondale bike, you know, put the, the arrow bars on it, got hit by a car, my first training ride. And it was, Oh yeah, it was all these obstacles that were hitting me right off the bat. I think one of my first training runs, I ran 17 miles and then tore my meniscus. So my first whole seven months into triathlon and doing my first Ironman, I was a basket case. You know, I didn't know what I was doing. My body was all banged up, but I I felt good. I I was pursuing something that was an extraordinary event, and that that tenacity that I put into destroying myself with drugs and alcohol, when I found Iron Man, I, I just shifted my focus into a positive, healthy lifestyle. And and Iron Man has just been a part of my life ever since. You know, now I've learned how to train properly and Good. how to do these things in a healthy manner. But it's um it's a great way to live.
0: Yeah. It's an interesting that you say you just like took all that energy and turned it. Cause obviously, I mean we've this has come up a number of times from you know our readers, our listeners or there's an addictive quality to like really heavy training to exercise to Ironman. Do you ever worry that it can become unhealthy, right? Focusing all that energy.
2: It's a good question. And I, I I used to get frustrated with this topic (laughs) because people would say to me, well, you've just traded one addiction for the other. And it's, I didn't trade an addiction for a positive addiction. I took the addiction and I put it into a new focus. Now, Having said that, that new focus at times for me was unbalanced. I mean, in, in 2008 and eight and nine, I think I did two Ultramans, maybe 15 or 16 half Ironmans, and four or five full Ironmans. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a, that's a big volume. But I was doing it to promote racing for recovery, which I knew was carrying a message of hope to people who were battling addiction, and to some people to even find triathlon. So it was a business slash personal thing, but I was way out of balance. And over the past decade or so, I've really learned how to do a big volume of races, but yet keep a life that is balanced with family. Counseling people, you know, friendships, all those things. Because I think in in two thousand nine, I did uh, what nine, one iron, two two full Ironmans, and then eight half Ironmans. So still a pretty good volume of races, but doing in a in a more balanced manner.
0: Right, right. And that gets a little. I mean, we're not going to say, but it gets a little more reasonable. I know people who do that. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> right.
2: right, and I know because some people are like. Uh, you call that being balanced. And to me it is. Right.
0: And so, I mean, you mentioned racing for recovery, obviously. So you, you turned your own personal life around, but then you founded racing for recovery to try and bring these principles to other people. Uh, what is it that's unique about racing for recovery as opposed to every other, you know, drug rehabilitation program? Great
2: question. Well, I founded racing for recovery in 2001. And again, if it wasn't for Iron Man, this program that has been now been going for over two ke- decades would not be in existence. So let me explain why. Uh, our local newspaper, the Toledo Blade, had ran a story about my life at that point. That it was basically, I think the title of it was actually "From Addict to Iron Man," um, and it was a, a brief story about my life as a former drug user, and then all I was doing in my sobriety. You know, married. Uh, ironically, I was a pharmaceutical sales rep at the time, but doing this extraordinary event. And I had just come back from Ironman, New Zealand, which was my fourth Ironman. And the result from that newspaper article was just, it was insane. Mm. I had, uh, police officers that arrested me were calling me, uh, guys I did drugs with were calling me parents who knew me as a kid were calling and everybody said, you know, I I can't believe you're alive let alone what you're doing in your recovery. And again, you can call it a God moment. You could call it an epiphany, whatever you want. But something just came to me that said, this is my life's purpose. And the name Racing for Recovery came to me. And I've turned this into my life's work for the past 20 years. But again, if it wasn't for having exercise as part of my childhood and then finding Ironman, I would not be leading the life that I'm fortunate enough to lead today nor would the hundreds of thousands of people around this uh, globe of ours have been touched by this program. So that that truly is the magnitude of what Ironman does in general and specifically what it's done for me that has given me a platform to help a lot of people, and that's what I'm in this for, is to serve other people.
0: And so racing for recovery, I mean, how does it work? When people come to you, like they're ready to – get clean, right? And and you kind of help them through that process and they have to follow steps and stuff?
2: So here's what's different about Racing for Recovery is the traditional programs, and God love them, okay. the whole thing. So what does the whole thing consist of? Well, for me as a licensed professional counselor, I knew myself, and I'm privileged to work with other people, that we have to find out the reasons why we're choosing drugs and alcohol in the first place. And 99% of the people that I encounter are coming from some form of trauma, whether it's divorce, God forbid, sexual abuse or verbal abuse, emotional abuse, what have you. There is something that happened to somebody that they weren't emotionally equipped to cope with effectively, and they chose drugs and alcohol as a coping mechanism that then ruined their life. So we have to understand that traumatic impact, learn from it, heal from it, and then at the same time, implement a balanced holistic lifestyle that is conducive to wellness that somebody enjoys doing. The nutrition factor, the spiritual factor, the educational component, employment, Ironman, Um, peer support, using all of these things that make up a person's lifestyle that on a daily basis, they are happy and content at what they're doing, being sober, not miserable because they can't drink anymore. And I found that so many times in recovery that people were just sitting around talking about how drunk they got and the car crashes and they hated their lives. Mm. And that's not what I wanted. I wanted to be happy that I wasn't using drugs And fully living. And that's what I've been fortunate enough to do for just under 28 years of being consistently sober.
0: So all the people that come through, they don't have to do an Ironman, right? No, okay,
2: (laughs) no, they don't. That's my personal journey. Now we are incorporating that everybody that comes to Racing for Recovery uses exercise Mm -hmm. as a part of that balanced lifestyle. And some people have chosen Running as a part of their uh, exercise component. And some people who have come here have literally gone from addict to Man like myself. So it's not the only way to get sober. But for some of us, it is a, um, a piece of that recovery puzzle, which then equates to more motivation and drive to go achieve other things in their life, like educationally or spiritually or with employment or whatever it is they want to do. And again, that that to me is really what Ironman is about. It's not the single event itself. It's the mindset behind it that says, I can do anything I put my mind to. And that's what Ironman does for me. Got it.
0: So it's more like the goal and then all the things you have to do to kind of achieve that goal, help you create a lifestyle.
2: Correct. If you're, I mean, anybody that comes into triathlon, you can't. Well, I guess you could. You could smoke a carton of cigarettes and go out and do it. I've heard heard of a
0: few people that have done that,
2: yes. (laughs) You know, and it's like, but to me, it's talking about quality of life. Mm -hmm. You know, how are you training? Uh, You know, what type of equipment are you using is just as important as to what foods you're putting into your body. That's why I'm a a plant-based guy. Um, the, The peer support, the coaching that you're getting, you know, your family support, not taking advantage of your family due to... Training and racing, it's a balanced way of doing this so people can enjoy it.
0: And, I mean, you said exercise is a component. Obviously, people choose different kinds of exercise. What is it about, you know, just like even if they just go for a run, what is it about just the exercise that, like, helps with recovery?
2: Well, I posted something today on the Racing for Recovery page about the benefits of exercise in general and how it reduces depression, anxiety, anxiety. reduce cravings for drugs and alcohol, but specifically running for for me and for a lot of other people, that's like the, the thing, you know, in the, I, I bad analogy, but in my drug world, cocaine was my thing with, right. With respect to exercising, running six miles to me, gives me that euphoric rush that I need to perform every other duty the rest of my day. So it's been interesting to see people that come into racing for recovery and what form of exercise and specifically either it's swimming, biking or running that really gives that person that emotional and psychological jolt for the rest of their day. Hmm.
0: Interesting. And you and I, I mean, we talked briefly, uh, when we chatted last week, but that there are like specifics to making a training plan and a nutrition plan for an addict that are different from like a regular athlete, um, and I was just kind of curious, you know, what are some of the, because you're a regi- you're a count licensed counselor, you're a licensed coach, you like you've got this all, what are some of the specifics that you have to consider, you know, for for some of your, your people?
2: It's like anytime someone's going to take on a new training regimen that is newly into this, there's always that fine print that does con- uh, con- uh, contact your local physician to make right. sure you're okay before you do this, Right. And I encourage everybody to do that, drug problem or not. But you gotta remember people that are coming into this that have been battling addiction for two, three, sometimes four decades, that are now coming into this, there's a lot of other health variables that need to be taken into consideration. So it's important that you know people get go to the doctor and see where their bone structure is, mm-hmm. you know, because bones are are brittle. Uh, people's minds are not performing as well as they should. Uh, They might have dental issues. They may have vision issues because of their drug abuse. So it's a little bit more of a checks and balances coming into training. And I want to make sure that someone is stable physically, psychologically, and emotionally before they take on the rigors of training for any type of uh, distance triathlon. But once they're they're coming around and their bodies start to rebound, then you just slowly get them into a training program that, you know, helps build them up, not burn them out. Okay.
0: And how many I mean, you coach like athletes, right? Like how many people do you have coming through at any time?
2: I don't. It's ironic. I I have an Ironman certificate to coach, but I don't really use it the way that it's intended to because I'm too busy doing other things. I just, I guide people and then refer to them, refer to other Ironman coaches who can spend more time with them. But at Racing for Recovery, we have licensed trainers that are here to help people with exercise in general. And then, like I said, with specific stuff to Ironman, I have a list of people that I can refer to and do so for those needs as well. I'm the guy that just likes to train with people. You know, yesterday I was in the pool at five 30 in the morning with a couple of our guys, just, you know, excited to see them up that early sober and having a good time in something that they never thought that they'd be doing before. So I'm kind of like the Iron Man cheerleader, if you will.
0: Okay. All right. And, uh, and I take it then you're still training all the time. I mean, you must be, if you're getting roped into five 30 AM swims.
2: It's a, it's a a lifestyle. And if it's a lifestyle, that means you're doing it all the time. I'm that's, um, that's one of the things about having a, I don't like calling it, uh, an addiction or anything like that. I call it that inner drive doing one Ironman. I remember my dad saying to me, well, you you got this out of your system. What are you going to do now? And my answer was uh, probably 20 more of them, you know, so I've done 84 of these crazy things and it's just, I love doing them. So I can't, see myself retiring from this until I'm in a box somewhere.
0: You don't, and this is, I'm just curious, you don't ever feel like, oh, now that you don't get the same high anymore from that, you have to like do something crazier next?
2: I used to do that. And that's why I did the, the Ultraman. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first Ultraman, Ultraman I did was in 2008. And I did it in, in memory of a friend of mine, Eric Floyd, who died from a drug and alcohol um, problem. But I, that was a good rush that was a little bit of an extreme. Um, and then I did Ultraman Canada where we filmed our second movie running with demons. And those are some extraordinary events that I, it's nice to say I did that, but the Ironman distance and and more of a 70.3 is more conducive for what I want to do right now. I'm not looking to, I don't know, do 500 Ironmans and 20 minutes or anything like that. You know um, I kind of know where my limits are now. I know where that, that rush is for me. And again, it's just sticking with the Ironman and half Ironman distance.
0: Okay. And what do you think? I mean, cause I've heard this happened to a few people who like they got injured and then they couldn't train or couldn't do run anymore. And then they fell back on, you know, drugs or alcohol or, or... Yep. are you ever worried about that with your athletes or with yourself? I'm not worried
2: about myself because I've, I've learned, why I'm doing Ironman. Mm -hmm. And I have coached a couple of people who thought that Ironman was the end all be all for all their problems. And I kept telling them, you guys, look, it's not, it's going to be a year that you're going to put into this. It's an awesome year. When you finish the race, it's going to be an extraordinary accomplishment, but then what? So to me, it's using Mm -hmm. this as a part of their new living, not make it the entire focus because as anybody knows who's done a triathlon or an Ironman, there is a bit of a letdown and you have to learn how to cope with that letdown, or I call it preferably a healing process and make that um, productive for your next event that you're going to do. And that's what I've learned to recover, race, do it again, and kind of keep that flow going, but it's, it's not beating myself up anymore. And that's a... That's a fine art, especially when you're doing the volume of races that I've been doing. Mm-hmm. That takes some time to really understand the body physically and the mind on an emotional and psychological level.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think about even people who like don't have addictions, you know, in the build-up to, it doesn't have to be an Ironman, but to a big race they've been training very hard for. And then, I mean, there's a lot of dark moments they go through and ups and downs for sure. And I, you know, I could just imagine that it's amplified and,
2: yeah, and this, you know, Kelly, and it goes back to what I was talking about initially with why I formed Racing for mm-hmm. Recovery. And this get this get back to that trauma. You can not cope with that trauma and go out and put all your energies into training and doing a triathlon. And that's great. But then what happens when you're done with it? And this is what we're talking about. You're hit with that trauma again. And that's where a lot of times people get overwhelmed with Oh my, oh my God, these things are still haunting me. I don't have a race to train for. And they go back to picking up a drug or a drink to cope with it. So I'm very cognizant of that mindset and work very hard with people who I'm privileged to be around and say, listen, I've been here. I understand what the emotional level, what you're going to be going through. Let's make sure that we understand that and, and, and train and prepare for it properly because it can, it can kill people in, in the world that I'm in. It can kill people
0: really yeah i could see that for sure what did what yeah. was i mean so you worked through your own trauma i'm assuming and and yep. in your whole process <laughs> um and, and i think i mean you mentioned obviously this was like your third dui and the co- and cops who had arrested you called you up i'm really i mean i'm imagining that people eventually like forgave you for mistakes that you had made that could have hurt them or did hurt them right is that part of the process
2: Yes. And that's an interesting subject. We just talked about this in a a racing for recovery educational group yesterday. A lot of times the person coming out of an addiction will say like, well, I've been sober for six months. This time I really am going to do it. You as my family and friends in the community, you need to believe me this time. And guilty as charged. I used to think that way all the time. The last time that I quit, I didn't quit for anybody but myself. I wasn't quitting to please a girlfriend or my parents. I was quitting because I, I, for the first time, started to find value in myself. And then what I noticed over about a year or a year and a half is that people would come up to me and say, hey, you look different. You know, I heard you're doing this in a productive manner as opposed to, oh, I heard you, you know, urinated in my front yard at two o'clock in the morning the other night, you know, so it wasn't about what I was telling people I was doing it was people watching what I was doing. So my actions were speaking for my words. And that's some of the things as a counselor, I work with people on, I'm like, your job is to not talk about what you're doing. Your job is to consistently do what you're doing and let that speak for yourself. And that's when your family and friends will eventually start buying back into the fact that you're going to do it and you'll gain their support back. And that takes a lot of time.
0: Yeah, I could see that. And I mean, now you're married now, you have kids, right? And I'm imagining they, uh, they're they very involved in the whole triathlon and racing for recovery thing.
2: Yeah, my my oldest daughter, Skylar, who's 22, uh, she was born five years to the day that I quit drinking, which was kind of cool. But she works at Racing for Recovery. Yeah. Um, all of my kids have done a triathlon when they were younger, except for my little guy, Mason. He followed his dad's footsteps and went straight into hockey. But they they've all done triathlons and then they kind of grew out of them very quickly um when i take them to one of my events they get that bug and they'll go yeah i want to do one of those and then by the time we get home they're like "Ah, i don't want to do that you know so it as a father you know they can do whatever the heck they want as long as they're doing some form of exercise i'm fine with that my uh my other son is a lacrosse player. My daughter Madison is getting a scholarship for soccer, oh, cool. and then, like I said, my oldest daughter Skylar, she had a, a lacrosse scholarship, and now she's a Pilates instructor.
0: Oh, wow! So they're all like involved in the, but they, I mean, they never obviously knew you then before. So, I mean, what do they do? They must understand your past, and, and... but they don't really see it. They don't know it, right? They
2: have been raised in the racing for recovery concept. They've, I mean, I've taken them to my mom's grave before they've come to me on or come with me on speaking engagements. They meet the people at racing for recovery. So they get the message of what drugs and alcohol will do on a negative component. And they also understand what a positive lifestyle of fitness and health, what that does for you. And as a, as a dad, I think that's my number one mission as a father.
0: For sure. I mean, I was just thinking. You mentioned obviously there's a genetic component to this, so I would imagine yeah. you, you definitely want to relay all the information to them.
2: Yeah, statistically, you know, one out of four is supposed to have it, and so far, I'm four for four with all of them being sober. And I, you know, this question gets asked of me a lot. Mm. And I honestly, if one of my kids got involved with this stuff, I would say, I would just go, why, why is that happening after everything you've been taught and shown that this is your choice but I have to look at myself you know my mom killed herself from this and I ended up becoming that person as well so to me it's the foundation of someone who is well balanced as a as a self a healthy self-esteem and when people like who they are they're not going to do self-destructive things to themselves
0: What do you tell, I mean, I'm sure you get a ton of parents calling you, a ton of people calling you worried about like their kid or their family member, their friend. What do you say to people when they're like right in the midst of all that?
2: The first thing I do when I get a phone call that somebody asking for help, the first thing I tell them is congratulations for starting to care about yourself. I'm proud of you for making this phone call because I know how tough it is to raise your hand and say, I need some help. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm, I'm still blown away by people's reaction when I tell them congratulations and I'm proud. They, they're puzzled that I even acknowledge that. And again, that shows the lack of self that people end up with when they're abusing drugs and alcohol. But to me, it's let's get you in here to Racing for Recovery. Let's have you assessed by a licensed clinician. See what your needs are. See what resources Racing for Recovery has to offer to help you and your family. And if we can't, we will refer you to someone or some agency that can. But I'm proud to say that Racing for Recovery is the first agency that's ever combined programs for both families and loved ones in the same environment because each person needs to understand what the other has gone through to have empathy for and then more appreciation of what it takes to really heal on both sides because it takes a village, if you will, to have um, peace and harmony with not only the recovering person
0: but the family as well. Oh, so you mean you bring in like the family members too at the same time? Okay,
2: correct. We're uh, again back in two thousand and one. I wanted to do something that was different, and I thought, well, I I need to understand what my choices to use drugs and alcohol did to did to my families, and I always wanted my family to understand what it was like to walk in my shoes, not not as a pity party thing, but like. I just understand what I'm feeling here and what why I think the way I do. And again, I really wanted to understand the impact of what my addiction did to the people I cared about. And that's another interesting journey because to be able to sit back and have people go, you know, I felt this way when you chose to use drugs. I was scared. I was isolated. I I didn't sleep. Those are things that we're not cognizant of that we think we're just screwing up our own lights. We have no idea what we're doing to, to everybody else.
0: Hmm. And so Raising for Recovery is based in Ohio. It's like a, a whole rehab program. This is a question out of left field, but given, you know, the rise and like the opioid crisis and everything, have you guys seen an increase then in the last so many years of people coming in of more you know interest in the program?
2: We have seen an influx of people Every year since we've started this, and that's good and bad, um, even with the the COVID thing and the opiate addiction, and now it's crystal meth and hmm. weeds a thing again. It's just this never-ending circle of self-destruction with drugs and alcohol, and we just keep reaching more people because of the impact and our concept has on people. They're, they love the fact that they can come in and get licensed clinical help from you know, co-occurring disorders that are going on. And then also help in building this lifestyle that they never thought that they'd be living. You know, when I have a a father that says to me, I never thought that I'd be able to stay off of drugs and build a relationship with my son again. That's one of the greatest feelings in the world. It's just a much of a rush for me as, as finishing Ironman Hawaii or whatever, you know, and that again is what Ironman has done for me. It's given me this, this platform to share, you know, not only my story, but what I've done with that to turn it into racing for recovery and let somebody else get a taste of that themselves. So addiction is never going to go away, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. but if we can prevent kids from starting it, and then we also can show people who are in it a way to get out of it, then I think I'm fulfilling my life's purpose here on earth.
0: And you mentioned, obviously, people hear more and more, about you've done it. There's been a few movies, a few documentaries. Pure Euphoria is the one that's out right now, right? What does pure euphoria mean? That, to me, that sounds very drug related. <laughs> ah,
2: that's interesting. Um, No, it's not drug oriented, but yes, it could be. Well, if I was using, as I said, if I was using cocaine, that's definitely the vibe I was searching for. But I found that pure euphoria in sobriety. And Pure Euphoria is our third movie. It was, um, I did Iron Man France in 2000. Geez, when was this? 2019, and then drove down to Madrid, Spain the next day and shot this, uh, extraordinary film down there in this beautiful location. And it finally got released a couple of weeks ago. And it's a, um, it's an interesting film. The cinematography is great with it. Uh, they don't show my face at all, which is good. Hmm. Um, but they the, the visual matched with my words are resonating with people who had a drug addiction, who have never done triathlon, who have done triathlon, because what I'm talking about in there is being your best self. You know, what is the best version of you look like and what effort are you going to put into achieving that? And especially during these times, people are feeling isolated. They're battling anxiety and depression. And I want people to know that just because we're going through this pandemic does not mean it has to change your mindset. It doesn't have to change your mood. And it certainly doesn't have to hinder you from exercising, eating right, and going out there and taking care of yourself in a productive manner. And that's what that pure euphoria feeling means to me.
0: Okay, so when you say, like, uh, you know, pure euphoria and, and you your best self, did you feel like you had achieved your best self when you crossed your first Ironman finish line? Like, what did you think when you crossed that finish line?
2: I'm going to give you two races that were okay. very for, significant. One was finishing my first race, which was November 6, 1999, the inaugural Ironman Florida. <laughs> when I finished that, with a like I said, with a torn meniscus and everything I've gone through, I was just like, wow, man, I did it. And then right away, it was, I was grateful for everybody that helped me get there. And then I'm like, when's the next one? Um, But to do Ironman Hawaii three times, but specifically the first time I did it in 2006, that was a feeling like no other. Because I'm like, I watched this race with a mirror full of cocaine in front of me. And here I am running down this extraordinary finish line. And I was, I, I, That term, pure euphoria, that definitely was, you know, in my mind. Of course, I finished in the dark because I'm not any good at these things. And I still had sunglasses on, mainly because it looks good in the picture. But also, (laughs) I wanted to hide the tears. You know, I was just um, crying tears of relief, of gratitude, of um, appreciation to Iron Man for even putting this thing on for my family who supported me to get there, and um, for the magnitude and the impact that I knew that whatever I was doing out there that day was going to help someone else, and it has. So that again, I can't express what Ironman has done for me as an individual and what it's done for other people through Racing for Recovery. It's a beautiful thing.
0: It still, like, hurts you. Like, like my, uh, you know, the second half of the marathon in Iron Man, it's still, like, really miserable, even though you've obviously been in darker place. There's this whole, th- I mean, you know who Lionel Sanders is. There's yes. this whole theory out there that because he did so many drugs in the past, like, maybe he feels painless. But, it like, just be clear, like, it's still brutal, right? No, they hurt. <laughs> you
2: know, any anybody that says they don't hurt, I'm like, are you high right now or what? And again, I'm going to go back to Ironman Hawaii in 2019 when I did it again, you know, cause of course I'm out there in the, in the dead of night. It's dark and going out in the, um, uh, the energy lab, you know, I mean, it's, it's dark out there. It's lonely out there, but I was watching and listening to the planes fly overhead. And I'm like, how do you want to feel when you're flying home on that plane ride? Hmm. You know, do you want to know that you've failed and you quit? or whatever hurt that you're going through physically, emotionally, psychologically, or whatever, it's going to last a couple more hours. You're going to experience that pure euphoria again, going down the finish line. And that flight home is going to be a heck of a lot better. So I, when I'm working with people, I talk about not only the physical pain that you're going through, but where's the outcome on a, a spiritual positivity or an emotional positivity that you're going to appreciate that physical hurt. Cause it's going to get you to the promised land
0: okay all right so like it hurts but it hurts it hurts because you've obviously like been you know everyone talks about pain in races and like how the dark places they go but you've been to worse dark places in your life so it's all relative right
2: a great word it is relative and i will say this i will take extraordinary knee pain on the queen k highway versus the suicidal thoughts uh the self-deprecation the self-hatred uh, feelings of addiction any day,
0: mm-hmm.
2: any day. They are they are night and day a difference. The physical pain is temporary. That pain of addiction that people are in, it's uh, excruciating and debilitating. And sometimes people take their own lives because of it. So there's really, to me, there's no comparison between those two. And let's not under, or let's not forget this. We sign up and pay for that physical pain. (laughs) You paid for it. So enjoy it, right?
0: Right. That's (laughs) what my dad always says. You choose to be here, right? Right. Yep. That's true. Uh, Yeah. So what's next for you then? I mean, obviously, like this year has been, you know, the last year has been what it is. It's been rough. What kind of are your plans moving forward?
2: Well, I was fortunate enough to get... Ironman Arizona seventy point three in last October. Thank God that Ironman pulled that off. That was fabulous to be a part of that. Um, I've got a race schedule. I'm ready to go. Uh, starting in Oceanside in March and going to uh, Italy, Russia. Wow, nine nine halves and then Ironman Hawaii again. So a lot of a lot of events, and I just hope that. People really can understand the impact of what a plant-based diet does for our, our bodies, the animals, and our um, environment. So we can get back to what we all love to do, which is living well and doing Ironmans. And um, so I'm ready to go. I hope I'm in Oceanside in March.
0: That seems optimistic. That's a very optimistic schedule, given you know, the news in the world.
2: <laughs> you got to stay positive, right? I kept thinking, well, why am I signing up for it? And I'm just putting good vibes out there that it's going to happen. Okay All right.
0: Well, uh, thank you so much for chatting with us and I'm hope you know I'm hoping people you know feel inspired from this, learn something. We'll include links to all the resources too for anyone who might need, you know, someone to reach out to uh, in the show notes. So
2: I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on.
0: Thanks to Sid and Todd, and thanks to all of you. Keep training and keep listening.